Was that it? That's, there we go. That's all. That's good. Nikki Hawes, are you out there anywhere? I just wanted to congratulate you on how quickly you ran away when you saw the camera was going. That was pretty cool. Uh, good morning, First Baptist. It's good to see you this morning. It is a gorgeous day in Jones County. Just a couple of things I want to emphasize right quick. We Bose uh, talked about All In Sunday. Start inviting everybody. It's only two weeks away until uh, we start two services. We want to everybody that's affiliated with First Baptist to be here on the same day. So y'all plan on that. You saw the volunteer stuff. We need group leaders still. Last week, uh, the church voted to call Lola, Logan Lola. <laughs> Give me his nickname. Logan Brasher as our minister, uh, our pastor of uh, music and creative arts. He will be starting on August the 5th. So uh, y'all be praying for him and, and Becca and the children as they get ready to move down here. That also means that Kathy's last Sunday will be next Sunday. So let's make sure that we all tackle her before she gets out. Tell her how much we appreciate everything that she's done. She has done a fantastic job for us here at First Baptist. She was sent by God to, to come. Absolutely. And uh, one other thing right quick, no deacons meeting this afternoon. It's been, it has been moved to August. <laughs> it's been moved to August the 5th. It's going to be that kind of day, ladies and gentlemen. First Baptist is a place where we want to find Jesus and give Jesus away. I pray this morning as we sing, as we preach, that you find Jesus that he reveals himself to you as the one who gives us new life so that when you leave, you'll know what he's done for you and you can give him to the people around you. A lot of hurting people in this world and all they need is a word from the right person at the right time so that they know that Jesus can change their lives. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you very much for bringing us to this place today. We've always prayed that prayer over the years. I've heard it forever. But Lord, you do bring us to this place. It is by your hand that we are led here. It is not an accident that we are at the First Baptist Church of Gray this morning, and it is not an accident that we're going to hear Jesus' name over and over again. Father, you have been so good to us. You have forgiven our sins. You've made us new. You've saved us to new life. You've given us friends that we've never had before. You've given us a place to come that reminds us of who you are. And Lord, driving down the street, just the way that you have created this beautiful world that we live in reminds us that there is a God who loves every one of us. We thank you so much, Lord, for the blessings that you've given to us. We do pray for Logan and uh, Rebecca as they get ready to move here, that you prepare their hearts, hit the ground running as we go to two services in a couple of weeks. Lord, we thank you for Kathy. We thank you that in your mercy that you called her to this place to bring such beautiful music to the choir, to this congregation and to put songs in our hearts that we remember all week, every week. We thank you for a woman who loves you and wants to lift your name up. And Lord, we thank you this morning that one more time we get to worship you at the First Baptist Church of Gray. 
May your name be praised in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. I do believe somebody was showing off just a little bit this morning. <laughs> Y'all sounded good. Sounded very, very good. All right, open your Bibles to John chapter 20. Runways in sight. We're almost through with the book of John. You say hallelujah, I'll throw a rock at you. It's been one of the best things that I've done. I don't know if y'all got anything out of it, but I'm telling you, this has been one of the best things I've ever done. So, John chapter 20. Going to read first 16 verses, then we'll read a little bit more a little bit later on. You've heard the story before, and that's why this is... It, it, it's not good that you've heard it before because you read it through the same ears that you've heard it every time. But when you stop and you, and you listen to the words like it's a brand new story, you see things in here that, that you may not have caught before, which is what I did, which I'm going to tell you. And I think it's cool, and you may go home yawning, but that's okay because I thought it was cool. So there you go. Here we go. John chapter 20. On the first day of the week... Usually do this at Easter, right? On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, You've taken the, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out headed for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw and believed, for they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Let's just finish the next two verses. We can read them twice. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he said to her. Now, I realize perfectly well that this week that my man card is going to be revoked. I understand that. Number one, if you read the devotion that we send out every week, you're going to see that, that, you know, I like the sleepless in Seattle and you've got mail and all of those. I like those movies. I like the endings. I just think they're cool. Forrest Gump, 
every time I watch any part of Forrest Gump, and if, and if you're like I am, I spend about half of my time just flipping through channels because there's nothing on television, but we pay a lot of money to have it piped into the house. So you just flip through all the channels, and you run across Forrest Gump like every other day. And so when you get to the part of Forrest Gump where, where uh, Jenny is telling him that young Forrest is his son, and Forrest leans starts walking back and he has tears in his eyes and and he looks at Jenny and he says as he's patting his chest he says is he smart or and it's the first time you see in that movie that Forrest knows that he's different from everybody else and that kills me because see this probably is not politically correct and and I don't care it's the way I think but if you know if you if you're different from everybody else but you don't know you're different that's one thing but to know that you're different from everybody else and there's nothing you can do about it and and you don't like being different and it makes things happen to you that's uncomfortable and makes you even feel worse and more different and you can't do anything about it, that kills me. That absolutely kills me. I had a friend in high school, um, pretty little girl, she was as sweet as she could be. She was as kind as she possibly could be. Always had a smile on her face. Good Christian girl. Goes to all the Bible studies. When something would happen and somebody would break up with somebody like you do in high school or something would happen or you come in sad, she would always have a Bible verse for you. She would always be quick to pray for you. She was a sweet person, but she struggled with depression of all things. And she knew that she had this issue and that it made her different from everybody else and for a period of time she was gone from school and we found out that she had gone inpatient somewhere to deal with this and then she comes back to school and and she knows that she's different but she's got a beast that's clawing in her mind that she can't do anything about and that kills me when that happens I know you know people like that I know you do. People who are different but really don't want to be, but it doesn't matter because they are. Now imagine, imagine if you would, imagine, imagine that that person meets someone and that someone fixes them. Not with therapy, not with medicine, but with a word and a touch, and that person is fixed. In fact, is fixed better than everybody else around them. Imagine that with a word and a touch, that all of the things that tormented your mind would go rushing out with a giant screech, never to return again. How would you feel towards that person? How would you feel toward that person? I don't know if y'all have caught on to my little trick yet or not, but I believe you need to feel your faith too. 
I believe that you need to have theological understanding. I think there's an academic element to faith. There are things that you need to know. There's doctrine that we need to understand. But in the midst of that doctrine, what gives it life is the fact that we recognize what has been done for us and it elicits an emotion in us. If we can be totally dispassionate about Christ, I question if we know him or not. You've got to know it. And that's what Mary Magdalene was a woman that knew the touch of Jesus. She knew that she was different and there was nothing she could do about it. Now the stories about Mary Magdalene being a woman of the evening that makes Jesus' story all all, uh, romantic and all that kind of stuff. There is nothing anywhere that would say that Mary Magdalene was a woman of of the evening. That was contrived later on in Catholic, in Catholic studies later and later and later. There is nothing anywhere. All we know about Mary Magdalene is two things. We know that she was described as a woman from whom seven demons were removed. Now, for those of you that are the Bible students, you know that when you hear the number seven, that means something. Seven means completion, means totality, it means perfection, it means all together, that means that this woman was perfectly possessed. That there was nothing in her that was, that, that, that was not possessed by Satan, by demons. She had seven that were in her that had her totally under her power. I'm totally under their power all the time. And what is Satan's purpose? This is the academic thing. To steal, to kill, and destroy. So she's got seven demons that are housed in her being. It's not there to make her a nice person. They are there to ruin her and to ruin everybody that she comes in contact with. Mary meets Jesus. We don't know how. And we don't know whether he touched her, whether he said something, whether he did both, but it sent the demons away, and Mary became a disciple of Jesus. Now, she didn't get the title of a disciple of Jesus, but everywhere Jesus went, she went. She is named among a group of wealthy women who followed the disciples around, and their funding is what kept Jesus and the disciples going. Mary... Uh, is her name is mentioned 13 times in the gospel. Mary Magdalene's name is mentioned more than most of the disciples' names are mentioned. She was very, very prominent in all of this. She was at Jesus' crucifixion. She was the first one to come to Jesus' tomb. John reports that Mary was the one who saw the stone had been rolled away. Mary was the first one to look inside the tomb. Now, this is where you've got to read the story and read the story because, see, she comes back to Peter and John and she says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. She couldn't have known unless she went in to look. If she had grown up and seen that the stone was rolled away, all she knows is the stone's rolled away. She went to investigate, to find out what was going on. And John and Peter ran to the tomb and checked it out, and sure enough, nobody in there anymore. There's clothes, grave clothes that are laying there, but there's no Jesus. And verse 8 ends with, 
Then John also went in, saw, and believed. And, and what we tend to think is it says he believed. Oh, Jesus, he believed Jesus rose again. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Look at the next verse. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. He went in and believed somebody's taken the body. Something's wrong. Somebody's taken the body. So him and John, Peter and John, go back to where they're staying, but Mary stays there. Now, verse 11 has an interesting word in it. In the Christian Standard Bible, it's translated crying. This is cool stuff, y'all. I don't know. Y'all, it's cool stuff. There's a word here. That uh, in Christian Standard Bible is, is defined as, as crying. It's translated as crying. Some of your Bibles will say weeping. That doesn't catch the force of this word. She is not a sad little woman with silent tears coming out of her eyes. This word means that she was sobbing. That she was wailing. That she was absolutely heartbroken. Because she had been different. And she had been different in not a good way. And this man had changed her, had touched her, and she was a new, different creation. And this one, oh, if you can can picture this in your mind and you can understand this for yourselves, she, she she was so changed by Jesus, she follows him, she talks to him, she goes everywhere he goes, and then this man that she had so much respect and so much love for, she watches people stand up and tell lies about him. And she knows their lies because she knows who this man is and she knows the feelings that this man has. She knows who this man is, the integrity that he's got, everything thing about his heart is kindness and she sees these people lying about him they she sees him getting beaten until he's unrecognizable she was there she heard the hammer striking the nails that went through his hands and her feet she was there when Jesus was lifted up when he died when the spear was thrust into her side she was there when the stone was rolled over the door of the tomb can you imagine what that's like Those of you who have buried people that you love, that's what she felt except more because she had to watch the torment that he went through unjustly before he was buried. And now she goes back to the tomb and now somebody's even desecrated that. They've removed the body from the tomb. They've stolen it. She is racked with grief. She is sobbing. Huge crocodile tears are coming out of her eyes. She is broken again. And this time she has no hope. Because the man that changed her is gone. This explains to me how the angels didn't make much difference to her. I I got news for you people. (laughs) And I know how you're going to be too. If we had an angel that just appeared right here, this place would be Pentecostal. Half of you would be headed to the door. The other half would be on your face. This would not be a cool, calm Baptist meeting. And yet Mary sees two angels sitting in the tomb and they practically don't 
phase her. And I believe they don't phase her because her grief is so deep and her tears are so hard that she's not really seeing. And when Jesus speaks to her, this is how I imagine this when I read the story, how these words are placed in the story here. She is looking into the tomb. She sees the angels. She replies to the angels. She hears a voice behind her, and she turns, and she, she acknowledges, and she says, they've taken him. If you know where they've gone, she turns right back around. She doesn't stare at this man. She may have only caught a glimpse of him out of the corner of her eye because she's grieving so hard she's not going to take her eye off the tomb. And then Jesus calls her name. Now, this is what's cool, people. And this, you gotta, you got to think of how this applies to you. This is what's cool. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, John says, turning around, she said. That means, that means to me that she had turned her back on Jesus. Because if she was still staring at him and he said, Mary, and she goes, Rabboni, that would have been pretty stupid to go, Jesus! That wouldn't make good sense. She was facing this way when Jesus said her name. And then she turns around and she says, Rabboni. Now, this Aramaic thing sort of threw me a curve. I've always wondered, what difference does that make? Why does John throw that in here at this particular point? It makes no sense. Why did he put it here? She replies to an Aramaic Rabboni. Now, the, the Rabboni thing, just so you know, this will help you score on a trivia thing. This was not used for everybody. You only used this title to the tip-top guy. You know, there was a guy named Gamaliel, there's a guy named Hillel. Both of those would have been called Rabboni. Just your run-of-the-mill preacher person like me, you're just a rabbi. Nobody would call me Rabboni, but they'd call them Rabboni. And she turns around and calls Jesus Rabboni. You're the top, you're the number one, you're the man. And she does in Aramaic. And I'm going, why? Why does John interrupt the flow of this story with that? And this is what's cool. In verse 1, Mary's name is mentioned. If you look it up in the Greek, if you look it up in the Greek, it's Maria. And in verse 11, if you look it up in the Greek, it says Mary, it's Maria. But in verse 16, when Jesus calls her name, Miriam, he speaks her name in Aramaic. That's why it says that she replied in Aramaic. Because, see, this is the woman that he knew and changed and loved. And he didn't come at her formal. This is the name that he spoke to her when they were walking down the street. This is probably the name that he spoke to her when he called the demons out of Maryam. Not Maria. Maryam. Jesus knows your name. He will not come to me as Stephen. Telemarketers call me Stephen. Jesus will come to me as Randy because he knows my name. And that's how he came to her. Maryam. And when she heard that, she 
knew there's only one person that speaks the name, my name, like that, and it's Jesus. So she turns to Jesus. Verse 17, Jesus says to Mary, don't cling to me, and then gives her instructions to go to her brothers, his brothers, and tell them what he's about to do. Now, why did he say don't cling to me? All of this stuff is important. Don't go to sleep on me. You can go to sleep in a few minutes. But you stay here with me right now because all this stuff is important. You've got to understand it and you've got to know it. Why did he say don't cling to me? Because there are people that believe that Jesus came back as a hallucination, that he came back as a ghost, that he came back as an apparition. You cannot grab hold of an apparition. You can't grab hold of a ghost. When he says, cling to me, I don't know whether she threw her arms around him. I don't know if she dropped to her knees and grabbed him around the legs. But Mary grabbed hold of a person. The Bible wants us to know, John wants us to know, that when she stood there with Jesus, that she was standing with Jesus. That the man that had died on the cross, been crucified, spear in his side, buried in a tomb, was the same man that was standing in front of her right that minute. And she understood it because she did what he said and she went back and she told everybody that I've seen the Lord. Now I want you, we, we are so accustomed to this story. You know, we are so, we've heard it so many times. I want you to think about all of the disciples, when Mary comes back and says, I've seen the Lord, she has been so upset, she's sobbing, she can't breathe, she's crying so hard, you've seen the Lord, you're crazy, lady. You're nuts. You've seen the Lord, that's good. <laughs> Go home, get some rest. We'll talk about it tomorrow. So then you get to the next part of the scripture, we're in 19 through 23. Don't go home yet, stay here. When it was evening of the first of that first day, of the, it's the same day now, guys, okay? The morning she went to the tomb, they went to the tomb. It is the same day. All right. When it was evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Let's bullet point the rest of this thing so that we can all understand what it means to be saved. All right, here's the setting. Here's another reason I say that Peter and John did not understand that Jesus was alive. They locked themselves in a room. All of the people, he gathered all the people. Can you imagine what's going on? Mary's running around telling everybody that Jesus is alive. The disciples know that somebody has taken that body. They know that they, these guys have killed people before, and if they think we're up to something, they could kill us too. So they've got everybody in a room, and they're all discussing what they're going to do. What about this? Mary keeps telling everybody Jesus is alive. We can't shut her up. We've seen the tomb, the body's gone, they're all sitting there and they're all worried and in the middle of all of that, Jesus comes in, stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. He did not say, hey dudes, what's up? That is not what this means. It is not, hey, how you doing? What's up? 
That is not what he said. He came in to this situation where these guys are going absolutely crazy. There's total uproar in their lives. And he says to them, peace be to you. This is where we have yet to gain our understanding of what Jesus is telling us. See, if you can't die, what is there to be afraid of? If you can't die, what is there to be afraid of? Jesus had to appear physically. He had to come to a group of people. Mary had to hug him tightly. Jesus had to show them his hands and his side. He had to, not only because he died for their sins and became their guilt offering forever, his physical appearance proved that sin and death can't hold him. That sin and death cannot hold him down. And, and I don't know if you caught this or not, but when he told Mary, he told Mary to go back and tell who? You remember? His brothers. Remember that? What did he call them earlier in John? Those of you that were here on that Sunday when we talked about that, that Sunday morning he called them friends. Remember that? But he's not calling them friends anymore. Now he's calling them brothers. Why? Because brothers have the same father. They receive the same inheritance from the father. And what is that inheritance we receive from the father? We can't die. You can, ugh, Somebody say amen and make me feel like I'm doing something. You can't die. We cannot die. Nothing can kill us. Nothing can take us away because of what Jesus did. We cannot die. And Jesus came in the middle of these guys who were terrified that they were about to be killed by these guys. And he's standing there in the middle of them, his brothers, as proof that they can come in here. They can take your physical life away from you. But dude, <laughs> look at me. Here I am. And you'll be just like me. Brothers, we don't understand that. We do not understand, we don't even remotely, if we remotely understood that, we'd have peace. Just like Jesus is telling these guys to have peace. If we understood completely what it means that we can't die. Now here I want you to understand something. If you do not believe that Jesus died for your sins, was crucified on a cross, was buried in a tomb and resurrected, and you don't believe that, you're going to die. That's just a fact. Read the scriptures and see how this whole thing ends. You die, you're resurrected, you stand before God in, in a judgment seat, and he sends you to a place where you die for all eternity. Not die like die dead, you go through the process of dying. And I don't know about you guys, the dying part I'm not really, is not really a deal to me. It's the getting dead that I think is going to be the issue, and you're going to be getting dead for all eternity. And you're going to say, well, a good God wouldn't do that. No, see, what a good God does here is a good God created you in his image. Remember, we talked about that. And part of you being created in his image is that you're free. And you can make your decision. And when you decide you don't want to follow him, he honors your decision. And go to John 3.18 and read where it says, you're condemned already. So that part I want to make sure we understand. We're not preaching universalism here. Everybody won't be saved. Only those people that believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose from the dead as the firstborn among many brethren. Those will be saved. Now, let's bullet point this out and we'll be done. What does it mean to be saved? 
What does it mean to be saved? First, to be saved means that we believe that Jesus died on a cross bearing my sins so I could bear his righteousness. Without going into a whole bunch of stuff, what it means is when God looks at me, he sees Jesus' goodness. He don't see my sins because my sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus. So that's gone. So all that stuff that you sit at home and you feel inferior about and you feel bad about and you wish you hadn't and all that, listen, you're wallowing in death. It's gone. It's dead. It's on a cross. Get over it. Move on. Pull up your big girl panties, whatever it is you got to do, and get yourself in gear and move on because it is gone. And all of us do it. I do it myself. But every now and then I have to be reminded that, you know what, son? You're a big boy. Jesus has died for you. He's handled all of that stuff. Why are you wallowing in death? Get out of it. When you wallow in death, you know what you get? You stink. Everybody can smell it because you're a grump and you're mean and all that kind of... I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's the first part. The second thing, to be saved means that Jesus lives, I live. He is my brother. The Bible says so. He was the first to conquer death. All who believe in him will never die. He broke the gate. It can't be repaired. When we are saved, we enter a new kingdom, a new reality. Nothing can remove us from that. Nothing can remove us from that. Your worst enemy or best friend can tell you you're a jerk, and that makes no difference whatsoever. You're still going to heaven when you die. You still walk with Jesus every day period. Number three, to be saved means that we will grow to live in peace. That's why I can say with certainty that we don't understand what eternal life means yet because everybody I know has uproar in their life. And if you don't, please come talk to me after this because I want you to help me get to where you are. We all have uproar in our lives. We don't really understand yet all about eternal life. The more we understand the power of Christ, the more our stress melts away. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you be frank and I'll be honest. I am better than I was 30 years ago. But y'all know I get stressed out. And getting stressed out means that I've picked up all of the problems that I feel like I've got to handle because God's not big enough to do it. And he is, and he has to remind you. And sometimes his, his reminders aren't fun. But he has to do that. When we understand that, we'll have peace. Fourth, to be saved means we have a mission. He says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Fifth, Jesus equips us for the mission. He says, after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Think of the imagery here. He breathes out They breathe in, the breath surrounds them, the Holy Spirit is with them, the Holy Spirit is in them. That's the whole metaphor of what he was saying there. We've got the Holy Spirit, we're equipped for the mission, and then finally what we're sent and equipped to do, sort of cryptic when he talks about forgiveness and all that kind of stuff, essentially what he's saying is that we're supposed to tell other people what he's done for us. Now let me say this about that, and then we're done. I have felt guilty about half of my life Because I've had preachers stand in pulpits, I've had Sunday school teachers stand in Sunday school classes telling me that I should witness to everybody I run into. That when I go to the laundromat, I need to witness to everybody. When I go to the grocery store, I need to witness to the cashier. That when I go 
to the convenience store. When I go to a restaurant, I've got a witness to the little girl that's bringing me my food out. I hate, I feel sorry for, I can't, people like my wife who are nurses who have everybody that comes through that's a super Christian wanting to witness to them. Everybody that's a, a, a waitress, God only knows how many people have come up to the waitress and going to tell them about Jesus and going to get them saved today so I can get a notch on my belt. This is what he is telling us to do. I did something in your life. You tell people what I did, and that's all. And when the moment comes, that doesn't mean that every waitress that comes to your day table, by the way, can I tell you what Jesus did for me? No, but you know what? You strike up a conversation and you find out they're going through the same thing you went through. That's when you get to see, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. All the pressure goes off your back, people. All he's telling us to do here is, I have equipped you. He gave us the Holy Spirit. You've got what it takes to do what I'm telling you to do now. Just tell people. Now, here's my challenge to you. Here's my challenge to you. You ain't going to do this, and it's going to disappoint me so bad. You don't listen to me anyway. Go home, and in 25 words... Say what Jesus has done for you. 25 words. Don't give me a book because that means you're rambling. You start sounding like a preacher. My job will be in jeopardy. You might be better at it than I am. 25 words. Because here's why I'm saying 25 words. That means that you know what he did for you. And you don't give me any church nonsense. Well, he saved me from my sins. Well, yeah, he saved you from your sins. What does that mean? Mary could tell him that I had seven demons in me and he cast them out. And let me tell you what that means. It means before I was this person and now I am that person. You met Jesus at some point. There's some point in your life that you know there's a before and an after. And maybe you met him when you were a very small child, but as you look back on your life, as I can look back on mine, I can see plenty of afters in my life that Jesus has done things in my life. Stop and look and see if you can see those things. So that when somebody's hurting and broken, all you've got to say because you can say it from your heart, because you believe it. This is what Jesus did for me. And they can tell you, tell you the, that you're stupid and whatever else, and it don't matter. You know why? <laughs> you can't die. They can't kill you. It's all good. John writes in this chapter, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that, by, and that by believing, you may have life in his name, not heaven, life.
I'm telling you, this is a cool story. We've got one more chapter left, and it's cool too. Let's pray. Father, I pray, quicken our hearts to hear you. And Lord, I pray that, that, that today, this week, something will happen that will call this moment to everybody's minds and we will lean back and we will ask ourselves, what has Jesus done in my life? How am I different? And when we do that, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will minister to us and let us see how we are different. And Lord, if there are some of us here who can't come up with anything, convict us of our sin and call us to your salvation. And let us be unafraid to say that I now know the Lord. You have been so good to us. Lord, strip away the years of nonsense that's been poured into our heads and help us understand that, that you are conveyed by a word and a touch in love and caring. That just as you called Mary by the name that you had called her forever, Miriam, that we have friends that we can speak the same way to, whose ears will be opened and whose eyes will see, and their heartbreak will be turned to joy. Help us to see the joy and peace that you've driven to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh. This morning, as we have our, our hymn of invitation, our invitation time, I want to ask you if, if God is troubling your heart and you want to know how to be saved, you don't understand that or it's something's going on and you want to talk, I'm down here, come and we'll, we'll work out a time and we'll sit down and we'll talk about all this. Maybe you want to join First Baptist. I know that you've got people that you know who are different and need help. Can you pray for them right now? This moment, pray for these folks and see what God does. It might be amazing. <laughs> he might surprise us. Y'all stand.